Welcome to the Wholehearted Podcast. In today's episode, we hear from Heather Tallheimer as she interviews author Myrna LaPrey about her book, Seven Gifts to Give Your Child, Parenting That Will Touch Their Future. It's a great listen, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Wholehearted Podcast. My name is Heather Talheimer, and I am a partner and founder of Wholehearted, which is a heart-centered community for personal growth. And today it's my delight and honor to interview Mana LaPrey, who is a coach, a relationship and family coach, and she's the author of Seven Gifts to Give Your Child. And she has a lot to say about supporting parents, about being a parent, and about that special relationship that stays with us throughout our lives. So I'll just introduce you a little bit to Manila Prey. She's an experienced educator and family and relationship coach, and she brings her wisdom and experience together with proven practical methods of loving and guiding your child. I love that about practical methods. <laughs> For over 25 years, she was a teacher, administrator, and educator, but her passion is working with parents. She believes more than any other relationship, parenting calls us to find our best selves. And through the parenting process, we discover our own healing and joy. She's a certified family and relationship coach through generational healing, a safe conversations facilitator, a love and logic trainer, and the author of Seven Gifts to Give Your Child, Parenting That Will Touch Their Future. She's an experienced educator and coach who's passionate about supporting parents in raising awesome kids. And I would add that in some ways, there's no greater task or gift in our lives than parenting. And on the back of her book, it says, parenting isn't simply learning the right techniques or words of wisdom. We guide our children through our relationships with them. Whether your child is two, 12 or 22, Seven Gifts to Give Your Child, Parenting That Will Touch Their Future, provides you with steps to strengthen that relationship. Discover how to cultivate a place of belonging and connection in your home. Create opportunities for instilling wisdom and resilience in your child that will serve them now and throughout their whole life. Help them find the joy of accountability and give them gift, the gift of experiences that support their self-sufficiency. It's amazing. So um, uh, when I read your book, I was deeply touched actually by the internal messages in that book. Not just, this wasn't, this isn't a parenting book about do this, do that, do this seven step method and you'll just be fine. But it's exploring the relationship between parent and child. And that's what moved me deeply as I was reading, but also as I reflected back on my own childhood and my journey as a parent. But um, I'd love to ask you, what encouraged you to write this book, Mana? Because if I think of myself as a parent, I, I hope I did a fairly good job, but it takes an extra, like, um, I don't know, stretch of courage to become someone who supports and encourages others. So how did you get into this, Mana? What made you want to become a parent educator? Yeah, well, I think that in my years as a preschool and kindergarten teacher, I saw how much I could impact them throughout the day. But really, what can change kids lives is 
you know, their family, their parents and that, that relationship. And so um, about seven years ago now, my husband and I moved from California to Georgia for his work. And I was trying to figure out, okay, what should I do? What's my next step in life? And I realized I really want to work with parents. I wanted to, I had already as a love and logic um, facilitator worked with parents, but um, I felt like there there has to be more to support parents to help them c- create things at home, not just, you know, get your homework done or hurry up, it's time to go to school or whatever. Um, and then I discovered when I lived in Georgia, I didn't know any parents. So, you know, I had to start, <laughs> I had to, I went back to teaching for a couple of years. And then um, I started a blog and I did some education programs with the encouragement of um, our greater church community to support parents. And then um, I realized that in order to educate other people, I have to continue growing. So it was part of my own growth and healing journey and reconnecting to, in some ways, to my adult my adult children, as well as working with, with parents. And then it kind of led me to uh, become a, a relationship and family coach. And um, I'm still learning and growing, I guess. It's, you know, <laughs> we're never done with that, right? <laughs> And now Absolutely. I have a I have a three and a half year old granddaughter, which was ultimately the reason to move back to California where I live now. And so impacting, you know, her life and, and when I inter- uh, relate to her. Wow. Well, I'm glad that you took this journey. And I totally agree with you that um, in parenting, we grow as in any relationship. And uh, it's a beautiful thing. Mm hmm. You know, at the beginning of your book in chapter one, and by the way, the introduction is wonderful. I was like eating it up and just, it's such a great introduction to the book, but in the gift of belonging, which is chapter one, it opens with a quote that just kind of like struck me and I shared it with others right away. And it says, um, every day in a hundred small ways, our children ask, do you hear me? Do you see me? Do I matter? Their behavior often reflects our response. And that's by L.R. Nost. And when I read that, I reflected back on my experience as a child. And I remember one time, I must have been like 11 or 12, and my dad, who was a big corporate CEO, very busy man, but he wanted to go and buy a pen. And so he took me with him Mm. um, to downtown, this little town where we lived. And as we entered the shop, he held my hand and he chose a pen and left. And out of all the experiences in my childhood, that's such a small moment. But it's one that was indelibly like put in my brain because I felt so special. Mm -hmm. And it was that one on one time with him. And it was just an everyday task. And sometimes I think we beat ourselves up as a parent because we're so busy in all of the tasks, you know, running people to soccer or whatever the activity is and making sure there are meals on the table. And we forget that it's in the little things that parenting and love is born. And, you know, I don't know why I remember that moment out of all the moments I could remember of being with my dad, but it told me that um, I felt seen. I felt heard. He chose me to go to the store with 
we were together. And I thought that's such a beautiful reminder because as parents, we need to know that's what really matters. It's not the technique, whether we use timeout or something else so much as, you know, do our children feel seen and hurt and appreciated? And I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about the gift of belonging and what that means to you. Sure. Um, I think that, you know, we, the bigger thing about our families is that we want to look at what is our family culture like that creates a place for belonging and for love. And I was struck when I did, I did a lot, read a lot of books to research for this one. And uh, Dr. Brene Brown did this research with, I guess it was middle schoolers. And she said that she interviewed, I don't know, 1500 students, she and her team. And they said that belonging is being somewhere where you want to be and they want you. But the difference between belonging and fitting in is fitting into somewhere you want to be, but other people don't care so much. So, um, and that belonging at home was actually more important to kids than school. You know, like if they felt that they belonged and so that it's like, um, am I enough? You know, am I noticed? Am I seen as you, as you said. And so when a child feels like they belong, then we can be free to be our own selves. And we aren't afraid to make mistakes. Mistakes are part of the learning process. And, you know, um, knowing that there's a safe place for me to be. And it's kind of like, I've heard it described in people who, who join gangs and stuff and somebody who has your back. So our family should be the one that has our back the most, you know, that, that we are there for each other. And so I think that oftentimes, and I, I recognize that I, myself as a, as a parent grow up with, with my kids growing up, sometimes I became too focused on all the tasks and where we had to go and to get to school on time or to go to this event or that event. But that is all kind of the stuff on the surface underneath it has to be the framework where we uh, enjoy and are creating a place where we love each other, where we feel that we belong and that, um, you know, there's safety, I guess, you know, there's safety and knowing that, um, I'm, I'm loved beyond the differences that we, uh, differences of opinion, differences of how we approach things. And also, uh, when I do something wrong, there's still love there. It's not just that, uh, I'm shamed or something for, mm-hmm. for what I do or who I am. Um, yeah. Wow. I think, I think also that, uh, what I noticed in today's culture is that there's so much access. One of my friends called it, instead of asking your parents any advice, you Google, Google grandma, you know, get everything <laughs> about diaper changing or about this or about that. But underneath it all, it's the parent-child relationship and the family culture that that helps us raise healthy children who become the healthy men and women of the world that can be able to to really create solutions, not just look at all the problems. Mm. Wow, thank you for that. That's so true. And 
you touched a little bit on it about um, not being afraid to make mistakes. And I think as a parent, that's one of the, you, you want to protect your child from making mistakes. And so you actually um, kind of go beyond a boundary that perhaps you shouldn't in trying to protect them. And I'm wondering if you have any advice for parents on how to have confidence maybe or relax enough to allow mistakes to occur because there's this tremendous need in parents to have like the perfect child or the perfect family or whatever yeah. it is that you deny the child the opportunity to learn. So how do you advise parents on how to step back sometimes and watch a mistake in progress? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not easy, especially in the moment. But I do think that in order to do that, we have to examine our own feelings and beliefs around uh, how we show up in the world, you know, and, and, and how we were parented even sometimes. And we have to let go of some of the things that are baggage and get in the way. Um, but I think it's little, you know, we get our children as babies and we grow with them. So I think it's learning to have the awareness that uh, this isn't about me. This is about my child and what's needed here. So trying to step back and and recognize that uh, at the stage, say, say for instance, you know, if my child is just learning to walk, I can't follow them out around everywhere and prevent them from ever falling down. Um, I have to let them uh, try. You know, I have to let them make the efforts. And uh, I have I have three sons and I have this, when I was a kid, I had this, I was pushed off of a high dive on and I fell into the cement. So I have oh this gosh. fear of heights, Yeah. but my kids didn't have that fear. So I had to like constantly just like bite my lips. I wouldn't say anything, clench my <laughs> mouth shut and let them explore. And we found, I mean, I talk about it in the book. We found this amazing adventure playground where it was, it was kind of like a big, just a big lot. It had a zip line and kids could check out hammers and nails and they could build things. And so I think giving them freedom within safety sometimes is, is yeah. what we need to do. Also, um, the chapter three on the gift of resilience, there's so much research done about how uh, we need to let kids fail in small things. So, and with the attitude that that's part of the learning process. Okay, what would we, what, you know, asking as a parent, okay, well, what could you have done differently or what would you do differently next time? And um, I think it's just, it starts with awareness, first of all, that what, like, that's why one of the reasons I, um, the subtitle of my book is parenting that will touch their future. Cause we have to imagine what kind of child we're raising, not just in this moment, but we want them to what want them to have the, all the possibilities of what they're becoming. Um, also I use, I use that. I don't, in chapter three, I use that example of the, the man who was watching the butterfly struggle and he snipped the, the chrysalis to let it because it, he thought it was exhausted but what happened was that the butterfly's body ended up crumpled and never flew because 
the process of coming out of the, the chrysalis forces the fluid through the body. So in the same way, if we over help our children, we are actually crippling them. You know, we're not giving them the chance to try to try. And um, I forget which chapter it's in. Another chapter, I I I discovered this thing about the hummingbird parent. So the hummingbird parent flies in when they're needed, and then they fly back out to be able to be a, available, but not hovering like the helicopter parent or not blaming <laughs> like the you know, the drill sergeant parent, but out there to see, well, what, what does my child need? And so I have to go beyond my own uh, fears and challenges and self-concepts. I, I have to grow as a person in order to better parent my child. Mm. I love that. Uh, I love that analogy because I'm very familiar with the concept of a helicopter parent, but I love the <laughs> hummingbird because we have hummingbirds outside our house here and they kind of literally flit in and flit out. And yeah, right. that's a wonderful analogy because sometimes you do have to step in and I guess it's oh, gaining yeah. the wisdom and the confidence to know when that is, which does require a level of self-awareness about where you're at as a parent, because it's easily, it's easy as a parent to get triggered, you right. know? And I think the other thing is when I make a mistake as a parent and I overreact, then I, I don't beat myself up. I like find, figure out a way to, wow, that was, that was overwhelming, you know, and think about what I could do differently next time. And then I say to my child, wow, that was, I, I was really scary, wasn't I? You know, you know I, I, I'm sorry that I used my scary voice, but you weren't listening to my, my nice voice. And I felt like I had to do something and I'm going to try better. You know, actually, I just used that example last Thursday with my granddaughter because she wasn't listening to me. And, and so I think that that gives an example of, of, uh, how kids could respond by parenting that way, by saying, uh, or, or saying, well, I'm really so upset. I don't make good decisions when I'm, I'm, I'm upset. Let's talk about this later. Gives, you know, gives me an out to calm down. But it, of course you don't say that with a two-year-old, but you know, with yeah. a teenager, then yeah. you, then you are also modeling the kind of behavior that you want your children to recognize when I'm too angry or too triggered in the moment. I, we need some space and let's come back together and talk about it later. Mm -hmm. What oh, I, I love that because I, I think often we don't do that and then we take ourselves that place where we're completely triggered and we just kind of fall back into bad habits because I, I feel we often parent in the same way that we were parented. Yeah. And so the things that we hate, we end up doing. And in my own life, I saw that pattern because my father used to yell a lot and I really hate yelling. Like it's just, I react against it. And so my pledge to myself when I was a parent was, oh, I'll never yell at my kids. <laughs> and I, I feel like I have a pretty good track record of not yelling, <clears throat> but inevitably you reach that part of yourself where you're just triggered and it, it's not, 
you're not thoughtful, you don't have presence, you're just like reacting. And I remember my son who was like one of these really active little boys and he did something and it just triggered me. And I, I ended up yelling at him and I had that like awful Darth Vader moment where you go like, I am my father. <laughs> so I love what you shared about um, you have to forgive yourself because right. you end up in that space. But like you said, you have to calm down, you know, know when to walk away you also have to take care of yourself so that you can show up in the best way possible, which I didn't do in that moment. <laughs> well, I think that's also the value of, of friends that you can call somebody else and, you know, talk to an, an adult and say, wow, I really lost it with my kid. So first of all, I'm being honest about my behavior, but then I'm reaching out for support or having a small group of parents. I remember when our, my kids were, before school, maybe, um, we used to meet in a park as, as parents and as mothers and talk to each other. And then the kids could play and we could supervise them visually. Um, so I think that that's another way of like getting beyond the thing that triggers us or getting, not just beating ourselves up about it, but mm. finding support, the support that we need. Um, I mean, maybe that comes from a spouse, but I think, um, it's good to have other parents to talk to. I would agree with that. And, and also to find those parents, those friends with whom you can be honest, because we yeah. tend not to be honest with everybody, but you need that person that it's a safe space for you to be able to say, you know, hey, I lost it. It was like, I was not my best self today. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, you can be encouraged as it were. Yeah. Um, I love your definition in the book of love. It's not, of course, a comprehensive definition, but you emphasize that love is presence. And, you know, I think many times we think about love as an airy fairy thing. And it's like, well, what is love anyway? And, you know, by defining it in that way, it guides you into relationship. Like by saying love is presence, it guides you into the idea that love is about relationship where you really show up for each other. and. I, I wonder if you could just talk about presence in terms of relationship with your children. Yeah. Um, I think it's kind of like what we talked about before of, you know, not just paying attention to all the things on the surface that need to be mm -hmm. done, get dinner, go shopping, buy shoes, get to school, but it's, it's looking at the relationship and, mm -hmm. you know, what does my, my child need or just lo looking um in you know just sitting down on the floor and observing sometimes it doesn't require engagement it's just being there um that we we create a sense of of you know that the of the child is seen and that mm -hmm. they are known um and also, I think sometimes recognizing that what my agenda for the day is, I might have to set that aside because something else is needed here. Being able to do that. I remember when my kids were driving me nuts, sometimes the, the best thing was 
to put on some music and have a dance party, you know, and it changed mm-hmm. the atmosphere. So I was aware that they had this energy and they needed to get it out. And another time um, we had a long car car ride. We were visiting my brother who was ill and we were driving from West Virginia to New York. And it was like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? How we, we had two <laughs> small boys. So somehow I had the wisdom to use the bubbles and I put the bubble in front of the air conditioner and filled the car with bubbles and you know and it changed the the atmosphere from all of us being cranky to being able to sort of have joy and I think that's you know sometimes presence is um especially noticing the differences in our children that they don't all show up the same way yeah and giving this creating the space for how they um need us mm-hmm. to be, be present in their lives and um i mean i think also making things that kids are interested in a priority you know like the sometimes i remember my mom as a school teacher she didn't always make it to all of my my events because she was focused on being a good teacher but what i needed sometimes was her for her to come to my music concert even though I was in sixth grade and it wasn't going to be that great. <laughs> you know, still, still that I knew that she, she understood that it was important. I was important and it, it was important. Um, I think also uh, the second chapter, I guess that's where I talk about presence, the, the power, the, the connection between the parent and child, you know, that's, that's actually the most important relationship, I think, the the um, parent-child relationship is what kind of rules the world, and also that uh, uh, even as our kids grow, that that relationship and that presence <clears throat> it might not seem like it when our kids' peers become um, seem to be more important, but our relationship and our connection with our our children is still essential, even if they push us away or act like right. they don't want to know what, if, if we, we might not, we might have to try a different tactic, like, you know, invite some of their friends to come over to our house and have pizza and just be in the background that creates a space for them to be with their kids. But they know their friends, I mean, but they know mm. that I am aware that they, um, this is important to them. I, having three boys, we used to have land parties where they all came over to our house and connected their computers to each other and played these online games with eight other people, but they were at our house and I knew what they were doing, <laughs> you know, and even though sometimes at midnight, I would have to tell them guys come lower the volume a little bit, but I think, so I think that, um, recognizing that, that they uh that they they know that i love and care about them even if uh-huh. we disagree about stuff um you know even right. if even if we don't ha- we have arguments that still we can we can come back to a place where we can be okay right that's beautiful um when i was thinking about love as presence too i was thinking about you know our children being seen And I think a big challenge for parents is we kind of want to mold and shape our children. And so 
um, how important it is for us to see them for who they are. And mm -hmm. they're very different from each other if you have more than one child. Right. And also to separate um, our, what we want to give them from kind of like our own experience. Because I remember when I was a child, all I wanted to do was have ballet lessons. <laughs> but my dad wouldn't let me because he said it would make me precocious. I, I, I don't even know what that means in terms of <laughs> ballet lessons. But anyway, so the fear was I would become precocious. And so I wasn't allowed that. So I was given music lessons and I had to learn how to play with the piano, except the problem is I'm tone deaf. So it didn't go well. And I, I remember like I had to walk to the music teacher's house and knock on the door at a certain time and have the music lesson. So then I began to walk to the teacher's house. I would like creep up the driveway and I would knock so quietly, nobody could possibly hear it. And then I'd go back home and my mother said, why are you back here? And I said, well, I knocked and she wasn't in. <laughs> but soon they got wise to me and she would stand at the door waiting for me. But eventually, I was allowed to stop lessons, but I took piano for over a year and it was grueling. And what I wanted was to have dance. And also I loved art. I would spend hours drawing as a child and I wanted art lessons, but I think my parents had this idea that, you know, I should have music lessons. And then when my own children came along, I had two girls initially, of course, what did I want to do? Sign them up for ballet. <laughs> And then I was somewhat devastated when my daughter goes like, I don't want to do ballet. And I was like, what? You, you're allowed to do ballet, you know? And I had to really think about it and realize, oh, this ballet lesson is about me, you know, living vicariously through her right. and not about who she is and what she wants. And I had to really think about that. And I think it's so important to try and perceive who your child is and as the parent perhaps because you spend so much time with your children and you're so deeply connected you do have the opportunity to you know value your child for who they are and what they want to do and what they can do in the world and that they don't have to be like each other and they don't have to be like their siblings and i i think that's such a challenge the sibling relationship because mm -hmm. i remember my older sister who was so brilliant in every way possible. I don't think there's anything she can't do. We laugh about it now because at 50, she became an ice dance medalist. <laughs> you know, oh, really? Like wow. And I was, I, I joked with her, I said, Vivian, you can't, you mean you can't just go ice skating and enjoy it? Do you have to become a medalist? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that kind of experience as a child shapes you mm -hmm. and you know, and I realized, oh, and we're very, very good friends now. But during our childhood, there was that discomfort, that rivalry, or that's mm -hmm. in, on my end, sense of inadequacy, and probably on her end, a sense of aloneness. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering, um, I'm sure sibling rivalry or sibling relationships come up a lot. You're a family coach. Mm -hmm. You know, what kind of advice or support do you have for parents around sibling relationships? Well, I think that First of all, it's probably unavoidable. You know, yeah. I think that it's kind of built in just because uh, even our birth order, um, I think like what you said, recognizing each, each child uniquely is, um, is definitely 
a start to make a, a foundation where everybody is valued for who they are. But I think that it's important also to, to look at why um, uh, sometimes the kids are fighting because they need something from us as a, a parent, you know, mm. and they don't need us just to step in and solve the problem. Maybe they need some kind of uh, love, attention, reassurance individually, and they're not feeling loved or seen or heard or whatever. So they're, you know, trying to argue about that with their sibling. Sometimes siblings actually do things that on purpose tease each other. And so I right. think that, that's important to recognize if that's happening mm-hmm. and to, to talk about it, like to not make it um, like somebody's fault. Like oftentimes the one who yells the loudest, the other one gets in trouble, but sometimes it, that's not the whole picture. So I think as parents, we have to be careful to not just swoop in and punish one person. Um, I think also uh, like the one of the tools that I, I recommend in the first chapter is family meetings and having family meetings, first of all, creates a sense that we're, we're here as a family, but it can also be a place to talk about issues. You know, I've noticed this happens in our family and I wonder if we can, you know, that's, of course, you have to have kids who are verbal, kids who are right. you know, elementary. Um, and, you know, talking about how, not just what they're fighting about, but how do they feel about each other and how can they work on their relationship as, you know, with, with, with each other. Also, I think it's important sometimes to just say, okay, I think you guys need a break and send them to two different places to calm down before you talk before right. we talk about it because mm-hmm. otherwise we're just getting the the whatever happened at the last five minutes you know um mm-hmm. but i i think also as parents we have to look at how what kind of way we solve problems how what what we model in front of our children you know like right. if the, if the parent if the children only see that sometimes we have an argument and they don't see a resolution because we do that behind closed doors, then they don't have the whole picture. So I think, you know, talking even, even about ourselves, like yesterday, your dad and I had a discuss, an argument about this, but, you know, later we talked about it and this is what uh, our, our, our resolution was, our solution, how we worked it out. So I think all of those piece things are pieces of the puzzle. Um, mm. I think also learning for kids to learn how to respect that each of them is different, you know, mm. like um, do even in a family meeting, talk about the things that we appreciate. So say for, for instance, one kid, my oldest son, Daniel, everybody says some kind of thing they appreciate about him. And then the next one, David, and everybody says something that they appreciate about them and, and recognizing that we don't have to be the same Right. We don't have to all show up the same way. We don't have to, you know, this annoying behavior that he has really drives me nuts. Okay, well, could you move away? Go someplace else. You know, what are possible (laughs) solutions that don't involve just getting angry and and hunting each other or something? Right, right. I'm sure you experienced some of that having three boys. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Um, I wanted to mention one thing about Yeah, please. 
Um, I think one thing we have to be aware of in our culture today is the, I don't know, 24 seven use of, of electronic devices and mm. being present to our children means, you know, putting the cell phone away sometimes and not, uh, you know, really being a hundred percent there. It's, it's, it's in our world. It's not going to go away, but uh, also for children, making some rules around, um, I mean, I, I advocate having some contract with them when they get a cell phone about cell phone usage, because uh, kids, uh, if you give your kid at age 12 or 15, a cell phone, they don't have the maturity yet to always make the best choices about it, especially if they haven't been mature in other areas of their lives. So as parents, we have to model um, presence by, okay, at dinner time there's no cell phones, you know, and even me, as, I, as the parent, I don't take important calls because my presence at the table to it is to my family, you know, making right. making making deciding that i need to have um i need to be able to be present and and also noticing things about each kid wow i noticed that you 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 uh, took care of your younger brother and i didn't even ask you you know no that's right. that also goes along with with presence sorry i just somehow it came to my mind no, that i love I that really, yeah i love that because i think um every generation experiences its own challenges in terms yeah. of parenting and family relationships and the internet and social media and cell phones are definitely a new challenge that has to be worked out. And, right. you know, that's what we have to navigate now. Right. And it should be that we have, it should be a tool. It's not yeah. something evil. It's just a tool and we have to use it in the right way. Right. And we, even we've had as, as, adults and children we've had um we've used cell phones to do like scavenger hunts where you had to do something as a group you know yeah. and then later we all we all looked at the movies that we've created so there's lots of ways to use media and things in a good way but that just has to have some kind of controls around it yeah so that brings me to another question and that's around you know creating consequences mm -hmm. so um you speak about that in your book in one of the chapters, and I was just wondering if you could, you know, give us your thoughts on that, because, you know, I've seen consequences that are kind of like way too much or sometimes too little. And, you know, what advice do you have for parents on designing consequences that, you know, that can be supportive and don't violate the relationship? Yeah, well, consequences need to be relevant to whatever mm -hmm. the, the the problem was it can't just be like um unrelated and especially when children are little um they should be more immediate and very short and also as the parent we need to be calm because we don't want a consequence to be given out of anger and that's if if we can't talk about it in the moment maybe we need to say um i we i need to do something about this but i have to think about it i have to um i think as a teacher so i have this chapter on the gift of accountability and as a teacher um 
I had some tools in my classroom that I feel like are really good for young children. I had this clip chart where it said, um, I'm looking at here, it had five points. So the middle was ready to learn. And then there was a think about it. And then there was a conference with the parent. And then there was going up, there were good choices and great job. And so I just used clothespins. And every day, a child would start with ready to learn. Or, um, and then if they made good choices, then they moved the clothespin up the, the clip chart. But if they had something that was um, sort of starting in the wrong direction, then I would ask them to move their their um, their clothespin down to think about it. And, you know, then I, I, I asked them just to sit in a chair for a minute or something, or were they ready? And then I would ask, would you, are you ready to get back up? Mm -hmm. And then if it was a more serious thing, then a consequence um, needed to happen, like whatever. Um, but I think that before that, also it's good for, like for instance, one of my sons was very, very um, active. And so I I sat down with him and I said, okay, if this happens, um, some we need to have a, a consequence. So what do you think? He was about six years old at this time. What do you think is a good choice that you could make instead of that? And so I he helped me make a list of choice. So um, one of the, then when I, when he had to think about it time, I would say, okay, go look at your your um, list of choices over there, which one would you like to make? So it was already pre-set up. Yeah. Um, so, and then I think um, choices actually is a way to share control in a relationship. You know, it can start when they're young. Do you, do you want apple juice or orange juice today? Um, yeah. But as they get older, the choices can be more about how they manage their behavior. Do you need to go outside we had it actually in the garage we had a punching bag so you know if they were if they're instead of punching their brother they could go punch the punching bag if they were really upset um or do you um do you need that some time alone do you want to go ride your bike you know something that was not um fighting with his, his brother or doing yeah. something that he wasn't supposed to do um i think also building in natural consequences as much as possible. Like, you know, just if you make a mess, you help clean it up. If they're a two-year-old, um, I help them. But right. if they're an eight-year-old, then I say, uh, you need to clean up that mess. Let me know if you need help. You know, like mm -hmm. that's the natural consequence. If, if, the con if it's something to do with, um, you know, a sibling, between siblings, if there is some agreed upon thing, then, you know, I think even with, even I don't know if I did this, but even with siblings, you can say, okay, if you guys have something you can't solve, you have to go to uh, two separate parts of the house. And mm -hmm. when you're ready, then you talk about it. Um, so that's, you know, that's already set up ahead of time. So right. I think as much as possible, you know, like also, um as kids get old enough to put their own toys away um and you know ask reminding them is good but then i had this thing called the gurney bag if they left toys out 
the, the toys went into the gurney bag and the gurney <laughs> bag went someplace else for a while. And it did, they didn't like completely disappear. But yeah. then um, they could, they could after a week ask for them back. And, and then we'd talk about, okay, well, the consequences you have to, I mean, the thing yeah. is you have to put it on the shelf. Um, also uh, like around um, toys and belongings, I think sometimes as parents, we have to look at our house and look at our children's situation and say, are there too many toys out for my child to manage or my children to oh. manage? Maybe I should put some away and then we rotate them. Or maybe there's some they don't care about anymore and ask, get them to say, okay, let's donate this to somebody else who would like. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that as they get older, the, the consequences are more about like setting up things that are new privileges for instance like uh later curfew uh driving having privilege to drive the car the cell phone so we set up expectations before and then mm -hmm. if if there's if there's something that violates that then we already have a framework within which to talk about yeah. well this was the um the, the consequence that we agreed on and then I think sometimes parents don't, they are either too harsh or too lenient. So I think middle of the road is, is better. Mm -hmm. um, and look, and also thinking, okay, what do I want my kid to learn from this? Yes. Like, what's the life lesson in this? How, um, I mean, I remember one of my kids took can candy bars, you know, from a, from a, like, I think they, maybe I told them they couldn't buy it or something, but they, we kind of came home with this big candy bar. And <laughs> so I, I went with him and I told him, okay, we're getting, we have to go give it back to the, the store manager. And the store manager was kind of like, um, wow, you know, people don't usually do this. And they, he wanted to give the candy bar to my kid for being honest. And I'm like, no, no, you know, he has to give it back <laughs> because he didn't pay for it. That's the lesson he needs to learn. So. Thank you for sharing that. <clears throat> yeah, you know, there's so much to learn um, about being a parent. And I love in your last chapter, the gift of being the best parent you can be, uh, this quote that you have, and I'd, uh, I'd just like to read it. Uh, mm -hmm. You said, in parenting and in life, most of us focus our attention on the challenge that lies in front of us. Deepak Chopra shares an analogy. Imagine your problem is to find a book in the dark in a dark cluttered basement. You cannot see clearly and you keep banging your head. If you focus on the problem, you may try to protect your head and squint harder as you keep searching through every box. If you focus on the solution, however, you pause, find the light switch and turn on the light so that you can see everything clearly. And then you find the book. And you said, as a parent, we need to begin by shining the light for ourselves we often disengage from our story to protect ourselves from the many conflicts, disappointments, and failures we have experienced. But becoming a parent is an opportunity to be awakened to the areas that need our attention. <clears throat> and, you know, it's such a beautiful statement. And I'm wondering, you know, as a parent yourself, what area do you feel the light was shone on for you? And how have you been transformed in your journey as a parent? Um, yeah. 
I think that uh, one of the things was to learn that I am worthy as I am. I'm, you know, even with all my faults and mistakes, I, I think I grew up, even though I had moments of really great uh, experiences in my family, I don't feel like I really um, experienced the belonging and the connection that I needed. So when things, especially when things are like for me, when things were um, triggering, especially having young children, then I looked at it as either I was bad or they were bad. You know, there was something about it. But now I recognize that, as as I said in that that paragraph, that we have to notice that we're things are being aw awoken because we have to pay attention to them. So this needs my attention. So I learn. I'm learning to be grateful for things that come up that triggers that come up because that means that there's something there that needs to be a paid attention I need to pay attention to and that needs to heal so I think that allowing myself um to not have to be perfect to that to learn through my mistakes and even to um that my children are adults now even to talk to them about things that I wish I had done differently um and to create a place for healing our relationship. Um, and then also to heal um, as much as I can to heal my relationship with my parents who are both still alive. They're 90 years old. And um, actually I, I talked to my mom and dad when I was writing this book about some story that I didn't remember all the details about. And then I realized that some things that I experienced that wasn't the whole picture. There was more there. And now as an adult, I can tell my younger self that it's okay. You know, there, mm -hmm. there was pain and there was, there was uncomfortable experiences and wounding in the past, but, but part of the journey of healing, um, of myself means that I'm also, it's a ripple effect. I'm affecting my family even now as, as an adult. So I think that for me, recognizing also that it's never too late, you know, to be a better right. parent. Wow, that's beautiful. Yeah, because I, I think as you mentioned in your book too, parenting doesn't stop when your children become adults. The relationship yeah. changes, but, you know, that relationship is always there. And, you know, people still need support and love. And as parents, we can also receive support and love from our children, which is beautiful. Yeah. Someone told me that I should, my next book should be about for grandparents. So I'm like, okay, maybe. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, thank you so much with, for being with us today. And, you know, we like to ask all of our guests, uh, what does it mean to you to be wholehearted? Yeah. I think, um, I guess to be wholehearted means that I am learning to live from uh, all the aspects of my life, all of, you know, and to accept them, the things that are, uh, that I'm, that I'm good at and the things that I 
um, might even be ashamed of, you know, things that those are all, but as I said, things that are awakening in myself, you know, I'm learning to accept them and see that they're all part of me and to be wholehearted is to not be afraid to, to go forward and to front confront things that need to be addressed and to find joy in, um, life and relationships and especially within you know within my family to find greater greater joy each day Mm, i love that thank you and finally Myrna, um you know i'm just wondering how people get in touch with you if they would like to have access to you as a parent coach i i know many young families and as my own experience as a young mother i i could have used a parent coach for sure so how do people get in touch with you? Well, probably the best way is to go to my website, which is coachmyrna.org, okay. M-Y-R-N-A, Myrna. Um, and there's a contact me page. There's also some more about my book. There's um, some more about myself as a coach. And, mm-hmm. you know, I have had experiences. A couple of, of groups of, of young mothers u- used my book as a book club kind of thing and they invited me on as the author to answer some questions for them so that's another that's another way that um, young parents can be able to support each other and have Mm -hmm. some kind of tools through the book all right well thank you and thank you for the conversation today thank you for writing the book because i know to write any book you have to take a lot of time do the research collect your thoughts and invest in that project, but I I know it's a gift for the future. And thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed being here. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wholehearted Podcast. If you're interested in hearing more about wholehearted living, guided meditations, and topics like these, subscribe to our podcast or check out our website at www.beingwholehearted.com dot com.